Ephesians 5. Um, and I'm, I'm noticing a trend in, in, in all these chapter breaks. It's hard to just start at the chapter break. You have to kind of rewind a little bit um, before you uh, get into the next chapter. Um, so let's let's pray for the word. Let's pray for the uh, our time in the word, and then we'll uh, we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for what a gift it is. What a um, what a treasure it is, God, to us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds, our ears, God, uh, to hear your word, to hear what the Spirit would say uh, to the church uh, by the word. Uh, Lord, anoint our time. Uh, anoint uh, this uh, scripture, Lord, and make it for us uh, straight from your mouth, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, last week... We started talking about, um, well, there was a lot of things, but he started fleshing out for us what the, the, the new life looks like, what, uh, what the life that has been uh, brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Messiah, what that life looks like. And... Um, Really, it starts in, in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, it, another word, and this is a great word um, to use, is the walk. We're talking about the walk. He has, he has started, he, chapter 4, he said, walk worthy of the calling. In verse 17, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, and he continues talking about it. In chapter 5, he says, walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 15, he says, look carefully how you walk. All right, so what, what the walk is, is, is your life. It's the way that you go about your day. And um, this, is, this is an important point right here, that, that God is after our walk. He's not, he doesn't just want our, our hearts. He doesn't just want our minds. He doesn't just want our songs. Um, he wants our walk. He wants the, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. That's what God is after. And, and entering into his kingdom, you enter into a new walk. All right. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so in uh, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, No longer walk as the Gentiles do. There is a whole way of living as a Gentile, and it's in the dark. And it's, it's because you don't see, you can't see reality. You can't see truth. And so you walk around in the dark, and in the absence of truth, in the absence of light, you just do what feels best to you. All right? And it, it manifests itself. It says that it, it, um, it corrupts your old self through deceitful desires or lusts. Okay, and deceitful desires and, and darkness, these are the same thing. When you, when we, when we, because he's going to talk about light and darkness here in chapter 5. Um, but walking in deceit or walking in falsehood, lying, these are all part of darkness. So he says, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then he goes and he talks about not being angry. 
And he closes out chapter 4 with um, an, an incredible verse, and he continues it. He continues that thought into chapter 5. So he says, he sums up the, uh, the section on, on anger and wrath. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away fr from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Part of the deceitful darkness is that you become callous. When you walk as the Gentiles do and you just do what feels good to you, eventually you stop feeling anything. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, he says in chapter 5, be imitators of God. All right, and this should, this should remind us of Jesus' word. He says, you therefore must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, be an imitator of the Father. And walk in love. All right, so walk in darkness, walk in, in lust, walk in desires. That's the old life. The new life is walking in love, which is outwardly focused. It's self-sacrificial. It sees people around. Uh, it, it sees, you start to see people around you and notice things. And most of all, you're, you're awakened to the presence of God himself, the life of God himself. And you, you walk then in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So he says, be an imitator of God as beloved children. All right, there's a, there's a lot here. Beloved children. Where else have you heard that, that phrase here in Ephesians? It talks about that we have redemption through the blood of the beloved. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All right? We are to imitate God as beloved children. We are to be those beloved sons in whom he is well pleased. And that's our destiny, right? Chapter 1. That's what we've been predestined to. That's what God has been up to this whole time, since before the foundation of the world, bringing us into sonship by adoption so that we can be holy and blameless before him in love. Okay, so this is, he's talking about the things that are written in chapter 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now just think about that. As beloved children. That's what, that's what really it all comes down to. That's what enables you to be an imitator of God. We want to, we want to imitate things that we really admire and love. Right? Um, and that is how and why we are to imitate God. We are his beloved children. Um, if, you don't, if you don't like your parents, you do everything you can to not be like them, to not turn out like they turned out. But if you love your parents, um, you want to be like them. You want your life to turn out like theirs. And we are children of the Father, and we love our Father. We love how he is. We love how he loves us. We love his justice, his righteousness. And so we want to be like him. Okay, We are not like children who can't stand to get out from under the thumb of their parents. We have a Father that we can only hope to emulate. 
Um, and that's, that's how we live. But it spells it out, imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us. So imitators of God, but also in doing that, we also imitate Christ. So we're to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, but we are also to be obedient as his Son is obedient, even to the point of death. You see how that works? Be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children, what becomes of the beloved children of God? Well, they get given away to a world uh, of sinners. They get sent into the earth to empty themselves and pour themselves out. So as a beloved child, yes, everything that God pours out to you is yours. And you can, uh, the whole inheritance belongs to you. But it doesn't end there, right? Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to held, held onto and defended. But taking the form of the servant, he made himself nothing, right? So we're to imitate God. We are to be brought into that life of father and son. The, this, the father who is well-pleased in the son and the son who obeys the father in laying down his life for the others that his father also loves. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are to walk in love. Love that is, first and foremost, self-sacrificial. Unto God, right? Not just, not just asceticism. We're not just to, to, to deny ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves. We are to offer our bodies to God as an act of worship. We are off to offer our lives to God as an act of worship. Because that's how Christ lived. That's how Jesus himself lived. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right, so this is a major, another major uh, verse here. Where in the midst of talking about the way that we live, the way that we walk, our lifestyle, things that we do, uh, the do's and the don'ts, it all revolves around what, what is the heart of it all? We want to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he talks about anger, and then he says, you know what, you have to forgive. Um, you have to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And then he says you need to walk in love, not lust. All right, so we go anger, forgiveness, love, not lust. Okay, so you see how he sets these opposites here. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So he defines love and then he defines a life of lust, which is bent on using others to please myself. Right, it's the opposite of love. Love and lust, anger, wrath versus forgiveness. All right, he's setting up these opposites here. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Okay, so he names sexual sin explicitly, and that's porneia. That's the, the whole package of sexual sin. And all impurity, all uncleanness, okay, or covetousness. Okay, these are all a family of sins associated with lust. Okay, it's, lust is not simply sexual. 
When you covet something, you are lustful. You are desirous of something. Those things, he says, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness. These are three words. These are interesting words. It it doesn't come through quite well in in the ESV. So there's filthiness, which is like dirty, dirty speech, okay? And then there's foolish talk, which is just stupid speech. And then this last one, crude joking. In Greek, it actually doesn't have a negative connotation. It's actually a good word. It, it means, uh, it, it means to, to be able to turn a phrase, to be witty, right? To be clever. Um, and so he's moving from like bad to stupid to, hey, even, even creative and, and witty speech. Listen, what are we doing? We're not in it to please ourselves. We're not in it to, to get a laugh, right? That's lustful. You just crave approval from other people. And, you, and you, you tell dirty jokes, or you just talk about stupid stuff, or you just, you just joke around trying to get people to laugh. All of that is rooted in yourself, right? And this is part of our walk. It's all rooted in lust. I want people to laugh at me. I want to please other people. I want to... Uh, be the jokester, all right? Um, It means someone who can really turn a phrase, right? Someone who's just good with words, a phrase turner. We shouldn't, that's not our goal, right? The whole goal is to to speak and live and walk in a way that gives grace to the people around us, all right? So it's not just telling dirty jokes. It's any kind of speech that's just kind of centered in yourself, right? Look in a certain way amongst uh, the, the community. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And he's going to come back to this. Gratitude, thanksgiving, these are powerful and crucial uh, ways to live in fellowship with each other. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, there's the three things again, the sexual immorality, general impurity, and covetousness, that is an idolater, he says. One who is sexually immoral, or impure, or covetous, ultimately, they don't serve God. They serve some sort of uh, created thing that is not God. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They have no inheritance. And I think of the, the son in the, the parable of the, uh, what, is the, what is it called? The two sons. The prodigal son. That word just totally escaped me. The, the, the prodigal son. He demanded his inheritance and he went and he squandered it on what? Lustful things. Reckless living. Okay? On prostitutes. He squandered his inheritance. And so there was left no inheritance for him. He took his inheritance. He took all of the things that God created for good and he used them for himself. That's what this is talking about. Listen, you want to take all these things, use them on yourself, get as much pleasure as you can. That's it. You've used up your inheritance. You have no, you have nothing left, right? But to, but to come and, and come to your senses, uh, 
and realize that you're, you're eating with the pigs and come crawling back to your father. Luckily, he forgives us and he's out waiting for us to come back. But this is uh, the life of the idolater. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God uh, because they take what's created and make a God out of created things. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Um, don't let anyone say that, you know, well, you know, we're all just humans. Everybody messes up here. No, no, no. What we're talking about here is life or death. We live different. We don't live in this lustful mindset. We don't live in this lustful mode of existence. And if anyone says, well, that's just part of life, they're probably one of those phrase turners, right? They're, em they're talking empty. And they're just trying to make light of something and, and make it not as bad as it, as, it, as it really is. Don't make any mistake. Because of these things, the wrath of God, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's literally don't fellowship with them. Don't, don't jointly participate in what they do. Right? Because you were darkness. You were walking around in darkness. Now, when he gets into talking about darkness and light here, uh, some people think that he's, re he's referring to the, uh, the mystery religions that they would have practiced in Ephesus. And so they would, you know, they would go, they would do their religious mysteries, and you weren't allowed to talk about what you experienced um, in the darkness of these caves and they also included there was there was drunkenness uh, as a part of these uh, mystery celebrations. Um, I don't know that much about you know the ins and outs of all of that, but there are a good number of people that that say that Paul's directly addressing something that the Ephesians would have been familiar with, you know, uh, mystery sects, uh, the, these religions, uh, these these idolatrous religions. At one time. Uh, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How much time do we try and discern what would be pleasing to us? What do I want for dinner? What, what color should this be? What should I, what kind of pants should I buy? You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about trying to discern what would be pleasing to me. What would be the best this or that? We're to, we're to occupy our time to try and discern what is most pleasing to the Lord. And in, in, to, to people who live amongst a, I mean, we have to realize that we live in a covetous, covetous generation obsessed with stuff and wealth um, and do we try and discern first and foremost and more than anything else what is pleasing to God or do we try and discern what would be most pleasing to us take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. 
And that's the part they really say is probably a reference to some of these mystery religious rites and, and uh, uh, secret meetings that they would have. It is shameful to do even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right? So, he keeps setting up opposites, all right? Um, and he keeps giving us metaphors for what the life that is in the darkness is like. It's, it's dark. He says it's asleep. Um, it is foolish. Um and he, he, says, he says all of these things about the old life, and then he, he addresses the new life. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use, the ESV says, it's, it's literally redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Um, and this is, what it, this is what it comes down to for Paul. Listen, we, we don't... These aren't just, this isn't just another option among the many that you have. We live in evil days. We live in covetous days. We live in impure days. The people around us, like Isaiah says, we dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. It's not neutral. We live in an antagonistic age set against the, the days are evil. They're set against God. Um, there's a, John Chrysostom, who's a, a church father. He says, um, when he, he talks about the, the, the uh, crude joking or the, 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 witty, the wittiness, the, the witticisms, uh, some translations say the levity. He says, what wrestler on entering the ring neglects the struggle with his adversary and utters witticisms? <laughs> I think that's a great picture. He's at this wrestler. All right, ready, go, ding. And he just starts there. Well, you know, I was out the other day. I was in the airport. And how about those airport bathrooms? Huh? You know, um, what wrestler enters the ring and utters witticisms? There's a there's an adversary coming at him. He wants to he wants to kill him. And he's sitting there trying to, you know, just passing the time. Well, you know, what about this thing? How about them cats? You know. The way that you talk, it's not just a, a legalistic thing, all right? The way we talk reveals where our priorities are, right? And if, if our priorities are just in, you know, having a good time, you know, don't step on anyone's toes, we're not in the game. We're not understanding what's really going on. We're in the darkness. When the light shines, we see the evil around us. And it causes us to, to, to walk and talk with a sobriety. And I don't think that we all need to, to be joyless, somber people. But our words really do show where our heart is. Because he says right at the, right at the uh, he says right here, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. So he doesn't say, don't get drunk with wine, just, you know, be stoic and somber. 
No, no, no. He says, be filled with the Spirit and overflow in your speech with each other. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The stuff of your, of your words together should be full of joy and life and song. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. All right? So it's not the opposite of, of levity and witticism and, and foolish talk is somberness. No, we are to be caught up in the amazing uh, truth about who God is and be repeating that to each other. And that should occupy, predominantly, that should occupy our speech amongst ourselves. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The other night in the UCF Bible study, I, I, just, I was singing to them. You know, it was, you just suddenly break out in song. Um, I, I think when that happens in like a, a musical, it's great. I mean, that should kind of be what, what we do, you know, where, you know, we realize something, God bless someone in a certain way, and we just erupt in thankfulness. Wow, how thankful are we to God? Uh, we're thankful for the things that God is doing in each other's lives. We are rejoicing on behalf of each other and, and rejoicing for the things that he's done in our lives and, and acknowledging this is what gratitude is. It's acknowledging all, that, that all of those things come from God. Right? And that keeps us against, that, that, that guards against idolatry. Idolatry focuses on the thing and say, wow, this is a good thing. I like how it makes me feel. Gratitude focuses on the giver. Okay? God gives so many good gifts, and we turn them into gods. And we rejoice in the gift more than we rejoice in the giver. And so Paul says, no, stop rejoicing the gifts. The days are evil. You live in, in an evil age that is consumed with consuming. But you should receive the gifts of God and, and, and rejoice in gratitude and thank him amongst, amongst yourselves. Thank God. Always keep God in the conversation amongst yourselves. He's there. Give thanks to him. Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this odd thing, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit ourselves to each other, which is interesting. He says, be filled with the Spirit, rejoicing, um, addressing one another, singing and making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. It's an odd, it's an odd fourth member of that list. Um, but our submission to one another, out of reverence, it says in, literally it's, it's in the fear of God, with acknowledging God in all things, Submit to one another. So that means we don't, I don't isolate myself. I don't, uh, I don't elevate myself above everyone else. I don't think of myself before everyone else. I submit myself to the people around me. I'm a member of the body of Christ like everyone else. And so I submit in the fear of God. I'm nothing special. You're nothing special. God is special. And we all rejoice in him together. Right? <clears throat> he is the giver, and he is the reason for any good thing. All right? So, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he immediately goes in, and it starts a new sentence in most Bibles. But it's, it's submitting to one another, wives to your husbands. That's how it, it literally just, it's a continuation of the same sentence. Submit to one another. Wives to your husbands, all right? 
as to the Lord. So, he's wrapped up, he's talking about anger, the, 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 the life and the, the words of anger that exists as a part of the old man, and then the, the walk of lust that exists as a part of the old man, and we're moving on from that. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We see everything for what it is. We see evil for what it is, but we see goodness for what it is. That's what light does. It exposes evil, but it also exposes good. It exposes the things that God created as good. So, now that the light has come and Christ has shined on us, we see what marriage is for. We see what family is for. All right, and that's it's in view of that that we then go on and talk about wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So he's saying, listen, there's, there's something for you to hear in this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And I like that he has front-loaded this with a discussion of Christ and the church. And we've just come through a few chapters of amazing truth about the relationship between Christ and the church, right? particularly chapter 4. And then he says, listen, the, the light that you see in that is, is meant to shine through the relationship between a husband and a wife. And in that particular relationship, the wife is to reflect the submission of the church to Christ, and the husband is to reflect the sacrifice and the love, the self-sacrificial love of Christ for the church. And in doing that, that shines light on uh, the way that the world does it, right? Husbands abuse their authority. Wives rebel against their husbands. Right? But, but this, is, this is not how the created, not how we were created to be. And he goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Um, so let me just read this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And do you, husbands, do you do you see yourself? I mean, it's a it's a those are some big shoes to fill. Are, are would you would your wife say that you are her savior? <laughs> In the sense of you first of all, lay down your own life, but you protect, you, you keep her safe. She feels safe and secure. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's what he's saying. Do you husbands 
understand what Christ has done. At great, he did not go find someone that pleased him. He laid down his life in order so that someone could become something beautiful. All right? We have it all backwards. We get attracted, and then we give our life to that person. He gave his life to that person, and because of that, was able to present her to himself in, in glory and in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. So love, the kind of love that's to be reflected in a marriage, is the kind of love that dies first and then is captured with beauty, right? Um, and it's only in the dying that the beauty is even possible. Now, Paul himself says, this mystery is profound. <laughs> and so I can't possibly, none of us can possibly really plumb the depths of this in, in the way that, that you could, that one could, if they understood the mystery. Um, but he says this, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, as their own bodies, right? You remember, he goes all the way back to, to Genesis. Eve literally came out of Adam's body. It was, he, she was his rib. God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and he opened up his side and took out a rib and formed her into a woman. And so he says, listen, she's literally part of yourself. No one hates himself, his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, I don't know what's more profound, the way in which husbands and wives reflect Christ in the church, or the way in which Christ in the church reflects husbands and wives. I think both things are profound. Uh, and, and it is a, a profound mystery. But Christ says of us what Adam said to Eve, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You remember in, in the Gospel of John, his side is opened up, right, where the rib is. And uh, the, the, the traditional reading of that is that that is, that is where the church, that is where the woman of the church was fashioned out of the side of Jesus, out of his pierced side. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. Okay? Now, this isn't a special command because Scripture tells us that we are to all love our, love our neighbor as ourself. But here in the relationship between husband and wife, we have a particular way to walk in the light and to walk in love. We walk in a way that reveals to the people around us who God is, and we walk in a way that, that demonstrates that we have seen the light, that the light has come. We have seen marriage as it should be, as it was always meant to be. He says in verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All right? So then he goes on in chapter 6 to talk about children and parents. 
and slaves and masters. But it all begins with being an imitator of God as a beloved child and walking in love. Um, and so uh, the, the thing that I want to I come back and underline is the whole idea of walk. That our life with God is a walk, um, which means it encompasses everything. It's a way of existing. Everything that you do, and I, I love that uh, what I'm noticing uh, a lot here, both last week and this week, chapter 4 and 5, is how much he talks about speech, words. The way that we talk um, is really reflective of how we walk, right? Um, nothing, I think, is more indicative of where our walk really is. Because we can say what we think is right, all we want. But it's just in what comes out of our mouth that really shows what we're about. And so last week he talked about lies, obviously are bad. It's a form of speech. Um, he says, speak the truth. Uh, he says, don't slander. Um, wrath and anger. He says, no, let no corrupting talk, talk come out of your mouth. So last week, there was a lot of things that out of our anger, we can speak certain words. Words that, that tear people down. Words that put people down. Words that don't give grace. All right? And this week, he's talking about words that don't necessarily come from, from anger as much as they do from lust, from just self-pleasing, right? From wanting to feel a certain way. So he talks about filthiness and foolish talk and then just jesting. And we need to ask ourselves, so, you know, what I want us to consider tonight, and I think the, the point of application, is just do a self-audit about the way that you talk. Just maybe call to mind the conversations you've had over the past two or three days. Um, how have you used your words? And it, I'm, I, I don't think necessarily it has to be all negative. I mean, you could say, yeah, I think I've, I've really encouraged some people. And that's great. But you also may have engaged in some foolish talk where your mouth was just kind of going no particular purpose. He says that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't befit the community of God. Right? Um, you may have you know caused some people to, to laugh. But deep down it was to really make yourself feel better. You know, um, I love comedy. I like stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, a lot of it's full of um, filthiness <laughs> and, and coarse jesting. But I, I like to, I try and find clean comedy. I love comedy. I, was, I, kind of, I mean, if you know my dad, I was raised on Jerry Lewis and um, some of the great old comedians. If you realize, comedians are some of the most broken people. 
if you look at you know the cast of Saturday Night Live or you know just a, a random stand-up comedian they are full of brokenness and yeah they make they make people laugh but it's from a very broken place and comedians sometimes are uniquely broken and they're they're addicted to uh, levity they can't they can't get serious um, and I think there's some of that in us sometimes that we don't really know how to um, we don't know how to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs we know how to address one another in witty phrases and, and you know things that kind of cause a chuckle we know how to shoot the breeze but why is it that we don't know how to how to talk about God it's one of the hardest things it's, it's one of the great mysteries I think and um, hang on uh, what, what really challenges me is I think our weakness and our immaturity in being able to uh, our need for levity our need for small talk really indicates a, a covetous heart a root of covetousness because when you when you talk to believers who are not from a Western hyper-developed country they don't have that same levity they don't seem like they really chuckle at all the memes they're serious they're, they're joyful right they're not they're not somber but they're also not they're not frivolous and so I'm that's kind of what's on my heart that, that's been what's on my heart all week I've, I've been thinking what well, what is it about us and I'm not you know I don't have any particular person in mind or I don't think this is a particular weakness or a failure I think it's just it's the soup we swim in it's the water we swim in as, as a people um, we really dwell amongst a culture that does not know how to give thanks to God we really don't we know how to do everything but give thanks to God we don't know how to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs we don't know how to make melody in our hearts to the Lord in fact we we do everything we can to keep uh, songs and keep music playing in our lives that has nothing to do with God right it's just we, we want to walk around we've got these we've got headphones now that can let the sound of the world through but also you're still hearing music we want to live with a soundtrack <laughs> but it's not it's not the melody of God in our heart it's according to our own desires our own tastes and so I, I think we need to realize how how immature we are in some ways particularly in this area of of levity and um, of just jesting wittiness right it is such a part of our 
uh, the way that the, the way that we even relate to one another. Now, I, I don't I really don't want to cast like a, a grim, dark shadow. Um, I, I mean, those of you who know me know that I love, like I said, I love comedy. I love wittiness. I love puns. You know, I love a turn of phrase. Um, but but I, I am examining myself, but, but I think on behalf of all of us, how do we get to that place of, of um, where our speech is, is the speech that, that befits the community of God? And it's not a Christianized version of what we see everywhere else. It's something entirely different. Okay? It's not just a, a, a churchy version of the same wittiness that's out there in the world. The same, you know, we like to get a laugh out of each other. It's not just a Christian, good, clean version of that. That's not the vision. The vision is an entirely different way of, of walking, an entirely different way of talking as a result. Um, so that's what's on my heart. And like I said, I don't think I have a particular call to repentance. I think I, I just have an area of examination for us to consider. And it's pretty clear. Paul here is, is very uh, clear about... Um, the importance of speech. He keeps to, he keeps coming back to it, and you can look at the book of James. You can look at a lot of different places. Um, Jesus said it's not what goes into the heart that defiles a person; it's what comes out, out of the abundance of the the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is a profound um, and a very important lesson of Scripture that I'm not sure we really understand how to how to respond to and how to live in the light of. Um, so I want to I want to pray about it, and I want to ask God to show us and reveal to us the way to do this. Amen. So it's a, it's a hopeful thing. I, I don't want to I don't want to end on a uh, well. I hope it's convicting, but I hope it's not condemning. I, I don't want to I don't want to issue condemnation. Uh, but we should all feel a little uncomfortable uh, when it's just goofiness. Right when it just kind of gets out there, and it's like one joke, and how can we top each other with jokes? Um, I think that's an honest reading of of what Paul's saying here. It it's not befitting. He says it's not proper among saints. So how do we talk, and how do we how do we converse in a way that's proper among saints? That's my question um, for myself and for all of us this week. Uh, coming out of chapter 5. And this absolutely spills over into husbands and wives, children and parents. Right, Those relationships live and die by the words of our mouth. Right, How do you provoke your children to anger? It's usually by the way you talk. How do your children rebel? Usually by the way they talk. How does a wife... Uh, how does she rebel against the, her husband's authority? It's usually by the way she talks about him with other people, or sometimes the way she talks to him. How does a husband um, not fully lay down his life? Well, it's usually he doesn't know how to talk to her right. He can't live with her in an understanding way. Um, or, you know, that's the anger side, or he just he doesn't know how to lead. Right? He, he doesn't know how to take the lead and really speak words that call forth his wife to holiness. 
right? So the words uh, in, in our speech, that's what was really on my heart um, this week. And I hope we can have some good, <laughs> some good conversation uh, around this in our, in our home groups or even, um, even right now as, we, uh, as we're responding and thinking. So let's pray. And then I do, if you have any response um, in any particular thing, uh, we'll have some time for sharing after I pray. Let's pray. Lord, um, we do want to be filled with the Spirit in a way that expresses itself through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we address one another with, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to you. And so, Lord, as we are contemplating the Holy Spirit and even focusing on the Holy Spirit in this book, Lord, it, it, it says pretty clearly that as we are filled with the Spirit, the way that we address each other with words will change. It will be transformed. It will be different. It won't just be uh, a slightly more sanitized version of the way the world talks. It'll be a different thing, and you will be exalted in it. You will be placed at the center. Lord, our conversation will exalt you and give thanks to you, as is proper, Lord, and as is fitting to you. So, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to um, grab a hold of this truth as individuals, Lord, and in the particular ways that we need to be challenged. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to convict us. Reveal. Lord, we want our words to glorify you. We don't want to defend our words, Lord. We don't want to. Um, we don't want to style ourselves in the way that we feel like we want to present ourselves. We want to glorify you. We want to decrease, Lord, so that you would increase among us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would really guide us, Lord, that that we would uh, have a um, not a contrived culture of of, of piety. Um, but a genuine, inspired, and, and, and a spirit-filled culture of worship and thanksgiving to you. You are worthy of that, Lord. And I thank you that you work in us uh, to make that possible by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.